Amen. Grab a seat. Welcome. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Billy Shield. I'm serving as one of the pastors here at Bayou City Tomball and overseeing community groups and discipleship. So thank you for being here today. Pastor Kevin is quarantining for being exposed to someone who uh, had COVID-19, and so he's unable to be here. We miss you, Pastor Kevin. I hope you were watching this. I said, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And so we are here now in this moment together. Um, so if you don't like the sermon, blame Pastor Kevin for being exposed. Uh, it is not on me. Um, anyway, no, thank you for being here. We've been working our way through Nehemiah as a church, and we've been in this season of rebuilding and restoring and seeing the purposes of God being brought to light here as the people of God in Tomball, known as Bayou City Fellowship. And so if you're here visiting with us, thank you for being here, and uh, we hope that you'll find a place to get in and rebuild with us as we follow Jesus together. Last week, we were in Nehemiah chapter 3, and if you remember, there's a lot of change happening. There were repairs that were needed to be done to the city walls, and Nehemiah began to see people rallying to different parts of the wall to begin the rebuilding process in chapter three. And a lot of times change is difficult. Change is difficult because it, is, it hurts a lot of times and it's painful. But we saw last week that change enables growth to happen and we know that as followers of Jesus, we're on a lifetime of change. We're on a lifetime of transformation as we journey in the way of Jesus. When we build for God's purposes as God's people, we find a place and we find a role where we can put our gifts into play. And that's what we see in Nehemiah as we continue to work our way through today. We, we saw last week that everyone comes to a place that they can find, they're put into their gifts, into the purposes of God's kingdom and building God's kingdom. And then they also find a place where they can meet people who are doing the same thing and are in the same place in life and stage of life. And we get to join in together and sweat alongside one another for a greater purpose, for the ultimate goal of serving Jesus and seeing his kingdom be established. One of the things that I took away last week was that when we join into this rebuilding mission, we realize that the temptation comes to critique. And Pastor Kevin said last week, hey, we're going to move from the position of being a passive critic into the place of being a vital contributor. And that's for every single one of you who call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior is that Jesus has wired you with specific gifts for his glory wherever he has you. To use those gifts for the glory of God, to serve and love one another in his name and to stir other believers up into the good works that he has for us. Amen? If you've been living longer than a couple of weeks and you're able to cognitively understand, you know that opposition in life is guaranteed. There's no way around opposition. We live in a fallen world where we experience the brokenness at every level. But for followers of Jesus, opposition, we don't have to ask if opposition is going to come. We just have to wonder when and in what form is it going to come towards me? Because opposition is guaranteed when you're working for the king of kings and lord of lords. We can expect it, and we know most of the time in my experience, and we see throughout the stories of scripture, and most notably in Jesus' life, that when we're closest to our greatest victory, 
opposition shows up at its strongest. And we're going to see that today as we dive into Nehemiah chapter 4 together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those, open those up. If you don't have a Bible, we may have some for you scattered around. If you don't, if you have your smartphone, go ahead. I give you the freedom to download the Bible app right now, and I won't judge you for looking at your phone while I'm preaching. See, Satan and his forces of darkness are working to prevent the kingdom of God from expanding, and they never stop working, right? They never stop because they are opposed to seeing God's kingdom advance. Today we see Nehemiah chapter 4, the continuation of the rebuilding of the wall, and we see that opposition will show up. The roadmap for today is we're going to break down this narrative into three different sections. The first section is going to be verses 1 through 6. Then we're going to join in with 7 through 14, and then we'll finish up 15 through 23. So we have a lot to cover. We're going to cover the entire chapter today, and there's so many good things in there that we're going to learn together as we continue to follow the Lord through the book of Nehemiah. Before we begin in chapter 4, verse 1, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray and invite the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, the one who illuminates the truth of God's word to us and then massages it deep into our heart. I want him to come in power today as we proclaim the goodness of God in Nehemiah 4. Oh God, we need you, not the words of a man, but we need the words of God today to wash over our minds, to settle deep down into the crevices of our heart and to spring forth with life and transformation and power. And so we ask you to change our hearts today, to receive, open our ears to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking today from your holy word, oh God. Holy Spirit, come and move across this space and change us and unite us for your purposes in the earth, God. We need you more than ever. And we thank you that you've promised to meet us and be with us when we gather in your name. And so we trust ourselves to you now. It's in your beautiful name that we pray this morning. Everyone said, amen. Verse one of chapter four when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and he mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite who was beside him said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Verse four, listen, our God, for we are despised and make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. The first thing that we see right from the jump here is that opposition announces its arrival. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I experience opposition, it comes in the form of an audible voice, namely from someone such as Tobiah, the Ammonite, such as Sanballat the Samaritan governor. And we see that here today. And, and I, when I was studying for this sermon, the only thing that could come to my mind, and maybe this shows how weak I am, is that I, Biff, y'all remember Biff from Back to the Future? Biff Tannen? 
yeah, that, that's, that's what came to my mind. It's like, I see Sinballot as Biff, and he's got this crew, Tobias with him, and all they're trying to do is discourage and tear down and say, you can't do this, and we're gonna destroy what you're trying to do, McFly, and that's all I can think about here in this sermon. Well, this, the small people, when they have insecurities, they come, and that's really what was happening is the response was to bring their insecurities. Wow, Nehemiah's really doing what he said he was gonna do. And then lash out verbally. And a lot of times we deal with psychological warfare and the words of other people that have wounded us, that have scarred us, that continue to hurt us as we replay those words over and over in our minds. And I think that's one of the strongest weapons that the enemy uses is a psychological warfare against us. That's why the Apostle Paul would say, be renewed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by renewing your mind, your thoughts. Set your thoughts upon things that are true. Set your thoughts upon things from God, not on things that are of the earth. And I know this is exactly what's happening here because opposition comes in this warfare uses truths that, are make, that we're typically sensitive to and things that have hurt us. And more often than not, it comes from those that are within, as today we see for those that are outside, but a lot of times it comes from those who are within, and we'll see that as we move forward. But one of the things about opposition is that opposition gives us an opportunity to lean into the Lord in great ways. I love this quote here from Hamilton Wright, maybe. Hamilton Wright maybe says, don't be afraid of opposition. Remember that a kite rises against, not with the wind. Right, if you think about the law of thrust as well in that, is that it, there's friction and opposing forces that allows a jet plane, right, to lift. And the same with us as followers of Jesus. Without the struggle, without the opposition, the opportunity for God to show up in our midst and remind us of who he is would be missed sorely. See, have you ever felt called by God to do something specific and intentional? That's what Nehemiah is doing here as we follow his life journey, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. A call from God that started in brokenness over what had become of God's people. In 2013, God allowed me to start a company that was in the coffee roasting and distribution business. And we started and by God's grace, in May of 2013, we were roasting here in Tomball, and uh, we have some friends who are part of Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, and they were hosting a, a worship conference in October of that year. And they, shortly after I had started my company, I just started sending out coffee to people that I knew and said, hey, tell me what you think about this. And I got a response from one of my buddies who's a pastor and he was putting on this conference and he said, hey man, I want you to come and I want you to set up a coffee shop in the Austin Music Hall and I want you to do this. And I was like, bro, we like, you know, we like started like two weeks ago, like we're waiting on our roaster to arrive still. <laughs> uh, and so I began to pray about it and I began to talk to my wife and of course, if you know anything about me, every obstacle is an opportunity for me. I, I see no reason to say no to anything. That's why I married my wife. She's really good at saying no. And my excitement about this and building people into it. And so I, I, a couple of weeks went by and we worked out the details and the conference was in October. And we said, yeah, we're gonna do it. So man, 
I felt like Nehemiah began to start putting in a plan. How are we going to organize this? What are we going to do to get? We drove to Austin. We looked at the space. They were setting up an entire coffee shop. You, you know, there's going to be like 1,500 people there. So I started recruiting people to help, got all the systems in place. And then the Tuesday before we were going to go, I had bought two fancy espresso machines. I spent some money on them, and we were going to test them. We had to be there on Thursday in Austin. We were setting them up to test, and they did not work. <laughs> they were not working the way that we were supposed to work. And if you know anything about me, I'm not mechanically inclined to work on anything. I just ask people if they can do it for me. So that's where I'm at. And I'm like, hey, do you know anything about this? Well, I called my partner, and I'm like, hey, bro, these machines we bought are not working. And he's like, what? And he's freaking out a little bit. And Long night of trying to get him to work here at a shop in town, and he's like, hey, we're going to order new machines. Go on and find some new machines. We'll have them drop ship directly to Austin. So we got online. We found these machines. We spent a bunch of money, had them air flighted. They arrived on the dock at the Austin Music Hall Thursday afternoon. We showed up at 2 o'clock. They arrived at 4 o'clock. The conference started at Friday morning. So all of these things, this opposition was coming, and yet in the moment... God met us when we arrived in Austin. Everything was in place. I had a team of people who were ready to fill their role. And we got everything set up by the grace of God by midnight in the evening, ready to be back to start serving at 6 a.m. the next morning. And it was because God worked in the middle of our mess where the opposition that came from all the natural things around us created a great opportunity that actually forwarded our company about three years ahead of where we would have been based on that event. And out of that event, we began to do other events and working with different organizations around the country. And it was all because God showed up in the middle of our opposition, just like he does here in the middle of Nehemiah 4. See, opposition is simply an opportunity for God to flex on our behalf. See, God shows up in the middle of our opposition to flex his power, to, to remind us who's in control, to remind us what he has called us to and where we are going if we will simply follow him. What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore this by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from these mounds of rubble? Look at what... Nehemiah does in verse four. See, how should we respond to opposition? Nehemiah, listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin erased from your sight because they have angered the builders See, the real test of any leader is how the leader, he or she, responds in the midst of crises or opposition. And we see Nehemiah gives us a great principle for all of us. I don't care what phase of life you're in. You're leading yourself. You're leading your family. You're leading those around you, maybe on, on, the, work, on the job place. And God has you called to be an influence for him. And we can learn that the first thing we do when we receive opposition is to pray right? How many times have we resorted to prayer as a last ditch thing? I know I do, right? Where, where prayer has become kind of this, we've exasperated all the other things that we could do in our own strength. 
And we were like, I guess I'll pray now. I guess I'll pray and, and ask the one who created everything and knows all things and holds all things by his powerful word to step into my place and do something. And as the people of God, we see that Nehemiah, as his first response, is to pray, right? He receives words of discouragement and opposition, and he doesn't engage in a war of words. He doesn't get on Twitter and start going back and forth with a Twitter war, does he? He doesn't stop lobbing grenade of thought over on his Facebook page and get into a Facebook face-off with Sandballot, does he? No, what does he do? He goes to the God who controls everything and can turn the hearts of people in a matter of moments and can shut down opposition. Nehemiah prays. And for you and me, prayer is always our primary weapon against opposition. See, I want you to hear that today. Prayer is always the primary weapon of the believer when we are faced with opposition. Because when we pray, we're realigning our heart and our lives with what God wants, not what my flesh wants. Most of the time, I want to respond with a knee-jerk response in the flesh to opposition and speak something that I shouldn't and say or do something that I'm going to regret. And yet God says, if you will pray, I will hear your prayers and I will move on behalf of my people. And Nehemiah, in chapter four, he prays to God. And look what he prays. He says, make their insults return on their own heads. We can do that. We can pray for that to happen. That God would punish the evil who were opposing his work. Well, yeah, in praying that, he, they, they were opposing God himself with their words. They were not just opposing Nehemiah. But when someone is opposing God himself, we can speak truth into that. And we can ask God to shut that down. See, he goes on to pray, do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight, God, because they have angered all of these workers. They have discouraged, they have brought fear into the hearts of those who are working for the purposes of God. Look what happens though in verse six. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. See, Nehemiah prays, and right away, the people continue to do what God has called them to do. They're not distracted by this discouragement. They're not distracted by the mocking. They begin to respond right away because God, in his powerful way, energizes his people to continue doing what he's called us to do. See, following Jesus gets tiring. Any of you experience being tired of following Jesus in this world? It is a hard thing. That's why... Jesus said, don't look back. Don't look back when you come to me. Because when you do, no, no, no one can continue following while looking backward. And I know we're tempted to do that, but following Jesus is hard. This is not for the faint of heart. And Jesus warned us many times. But the people had the will to keep on working. See, they continued despite their opposition and progress was made. They built up half of the wall already. Half of it was built, and everyone had a place. Everyone had a purpose in the plans of God, and they were energized in a powerful way by God's Holy Spirit at work in building unity amongst 
the people to build. And that's what God's calling us to here at Bayou City Tomball. God's calling us to unity for the purposes of building his kingdom in this community. And next week we're having collective relaunch and we want everyone to consider registering for collective relaunch right after worship next Sunday morning where you can find your place and how you're gonna be a part of rebuilding what God has begun here that we can see the kingdom of God expanding, that discipleship will be happening in every area of our lives. And we want you to register, go to the app and do that, go online afterwards and do that. But we need you to be a part of what God wants to do here. We also need you to jump into a community group. Community groups have started already, but it's never too late to get involved. If you haven't already joined a community group, I want you to consider and getting into a group that's connected around you where you live, that's close or works for you on a the day or, or time of the week that is best, because this is where discipleship relationships happen. This is where we come together and the rubber meets the road of the Christian life, where we say, God, you're calling me to this. I don't really want to do this, but I need to be around other people to encourage me to do what you've called me to do. It's where we grow in our love for Jesus. We grow in our desire to follow him. It's where we can have life transformation in relationships that can continue on for days and days and ultimately continue to multiply out across this community. This is every person finding its place, his or her place and role in God's rebuilding of his community here in Tomball. See, they overcame the enemy through prayer and perseverance, right? See, when we pray and persevere right where God has us, that's when we see God show up. When we throw in the towel really quickly when the first sight of opposition comes, that's when we miss out on what God really wants to do in and through us. So I encourage you guys, lean in. Don't let the opposition discourage you. In verse seven, we see that perseverance in the face of opposition produces the results that God requires. Verse seven, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. So now those opposers are doubling down on their opposition to the work that Nehemiah and doing, they're starting to rally more and more people. They look to the north, they look to the south, east and west. Jerusalem's surrounded by all of these people groups on every side, Ammonites, the Philistines, essentially, the Arabs, and then the Samaritans. All on every side of Jerusalem surrounding them, they begin to just threaten and discourage even greater than before. And what does Nehemiah do? Key verse, verse nine. Again, so we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. He prays again. And not only does he pray this time, what does he do? He prays and he acts strategically, doesn't he? Now, I don't normally wear T-shirts that are sermon illustrations, but today it worked, and so this is what it looks like when I do. Prayer and action. That's what God is calling us to. Prayer and action. 
See, a lot of times we say, I'll pray about that, right? And then we don't even pray. We won't even pray, yet we say we will pray and we forget and we go about our day and it's kind of this cliche thing to do as a Christian, right? And there's subculture that we have. I'll pray about it, pray it for you, bro, right? But what does Nehemiah do? Prayer actually is, a, is followed up by action. That's what God calls us to as we are people of faith. See, faith drives us to pray to the one who's greater than we are who holds all the needs that we have in his hand and the power to meet those needs and then gives us the opportunity to step out and as John Piper says, act the miracle. Act the miracle. Act what God is going to work in and through us as we step out in faith, right? So we pray, yes, we do pray like Nehemiah teaches us here. We do pray, but then we get to work, folks. We get our hands dirty. We get in line to serving and doing what God has already called us to do. Prayer and action. And there's prayer and now Nehemiah sets up protection. He sets up reinforcements around the wall because he knows that they are getting together a larger group of people to come and attack. In verse 10, He describes what happens in verse eight, where they want to throw this into confusion. He says, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborers fails. So much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. And when the Jews who live nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. Nehemiah strategically here in verse 13, I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall, at the most vulnerable areas, and I stationed them by families with their swords, with their spears, and with their bows. And after I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters and wives and homes. That's what we do as your pastors every single week that we get up here on this stage and we proclaim the goodness of the gospels. Don't forget what God says he will do. He will do it. Remember the greatness and awesomeness of our God. Remember what he promised to you when he pulled you out of your death, pulled you out of your rebellion, pulled you out of your lostness and put your feet on a solid rock in Christ Jesus, don't forget, but remember, because I'm still doing a work and I'm doing a new thing in this place today and I'm calling you into it. Remember the awesomeness of our God. Remember, we're so forgetful. We pray and we step in by faith and we fight. We watch and we war, we encourage and we equip ourselves. And we set up a defense by linking arms with other brothers and sisters to create a wall of love, a wall that's impenetrable, of caring, compassion for one another and others who need to experience this love and grace. When we pray and prepare, God will do more than we can ask or imagine. See, I've prayed a lot of times without preparing as if God was just gonna make something happen while I sat on the couch eating my Doritos, right? 
I want to lose 20 pounds or whatever it is. God, I want to lose weight. Help me lose weight. There's some action that was required of me to lose some weight. Right? Our prayerful preparation increases the possibilities for God to show up and show off. See, our prayerful preparation increases the possibilities for God to show up and show off, right? It's not that we simply pray, but it's that we pray and we prepare and we step into what God has called us to do. I want you to know that your pastors, we spend a lot of time praying for you and praying for our community and praying for wisdom from God. Decisions have to be made when you're involved in leadership and particularly in an organization like a church where we pray and seek God on behalf of you. We seek God on behalf of what he is calling us to do here in Tomball. And your elders and pastors, we pray. And every Thursday, you're welcome to join us. 11 a.m., we have a Zoom call and you can jump in and pray with us. But we spend time seeking God on behalf of you and his plans here in Tomball. And we have to make a decision based off what God calls us to do, and we have to live with that decision. And we don't make a decision based on how we think everyone's going to respond to it, if we're going to make everyone happy. We would never make a decision. <laughs> but we make a decision based off what God calls us to do, and I just want you to know that we're seeking God on behalf of you and on behalf of this community so that you know that the Lord is leading us and you can feel loved and cared for by your pastors in that way. See, they find the energy to work by remembering. They remember what God has done. They remember the exodus that God has brought his people out. They remember that they were exiled and now God has brought them back to rebuild and establish his worship in Jerusalem. And it's God's character that brings confidence for them. It's God's character that allows them to step in in the face of opposition. See, when we trust God, we don't throw out our responsibility to action. It actually is the opposite. It actually, in fact, is action comes because we do trust God. Our action is that we know that God's gonna come through so I can step out on the water, if you will, because I know God has me and I know that God has called me to it. Finally, in verses 15 through 23, we see that it is God who is fighting for us. See, Nehemiah unifies and solidifies the resistance and then they continue to build in a practical way. When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. See, the enemies realized that God had frustrated their plans. See, they knew that God was working on behalf of his people, and at that point, they decided to retreat. That was, that was one of the smartest things they've done, is retreat from trying to attack when they realized that God was fighting for his people. From that day on, half of the men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and they held a weapon in the other, a trowel in one hand, as you've probably heard many times, and a sword in the other. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Verse 20, 
Wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. See, he sets up this primitive alarm system. He has the trumpeter next to him because everyone's spread out working. And he says, if we see enemy approaching again, listen for the sound of the alarm. And don't hesitate when you hear it because our God is going to fight for us. See, don't hesitate when you hear God's voice calling you to step into a role today. God will fight with you and for you and through you. And it's the faith that God requires that pleases him. And he loves to fight on behalf of his people. What we see here is that opposition provides a greater opportunity for greater unity. This is so true in so many areas of our lives where when we face opposition, unity is the outworking of it. You hear these stories or foxhole stories or people who've been in life and death situations with other men and women and fighting and they recount the stories of bullets flying overhead and doing whatever they could under duress and stress and those relationships become something that's tight together that can never be broken because of the opposition. They were unified because of the opposition that was coming against them, which created the unity and a relationship that lasts a lifetime. You know, I've see, you see this in sports quite a bit. I remember I was thinking about this this week, and this will show how old I am, but in 2007, 2008, the Houston Rockets had a really good team, and Yao Ming was kind of at the center of that. We had Tracy McGrady, we had Ron Artest, or the artist formerly known as Ron Artest. I don't know what his name is now. And we, we won 22 straight games in that season, which set the all-time Rockets winning streak record. And half of those games were played without Yao Ming, our superstar. We won 22 games, and only 11 of those games did Yao Ming actually participate in. He had a broken foot. And we started, we, we won those 11, and then he was gone for the second half. And yet that team, they talk about the, the way that that team responded because of the absence of Yao Ming, that there was opposition to what they were trying to achieve and challenge that came, and yet because they came together, they achieved greatness. No one's matched their record, right? That, that's what God's calling us to do. We have one or two things we can do when opposition comes. We can cave to it, or we can turn to God and step into obedience and experience great and wondrous things together as a worshiping community here in Tomball. See, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. So many times throughout this book, we see that God fights for his people. And I want you to know that he's fighting for you today. Jesus went to the cross to fight for us. Jesus went to take us back from death and being enslaved to sin and Satan in the grave. And now he forever intercedes for you and I. That's all he's doing now is interceding for you. He died and rose again so that he forever will live to intercede. Wow, what confidence is that? That God would intercede through Jesus. And so God fights for us, but this didn't mean that the Jews would not fight, but that God would assist them in their fighting because they were fighting for the cause of God. It was his will that the holy city should have defense. 
It was his will that the people should live in safety. It was God's will. And so therefore their war was his war and they could rely on him. Our war is God's war by your city fellowship. Whatever we're facing today, it's God's war. Whatever God has called you to, he will carry you through. Today is the day to put your hope and trust again and turn to the God in prayer. Look at what David said finally here in Psalm 18, 35 through 42. He says, God, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your humility exalts me. You make a spacious place beneath me for my steps and my ankles do not give way and I pursue my enemies and overtake them. I do not turn back until they are wiped out. I crush them and they cannot get up. They fall beneath my feet and you have clothed me with strength for battle. You subdue my adversaries beneath me. They cry for help, but there is no one to save them. They cry to the Lord, but he does not answer them. I pulverize them like dust before the wind. I trample them like mud in the streets. God fights for his people. And God most often accomplishes his purposes through extraordinary, ordinary means in extraordinary ways. We're going to see that as we continue our journey through the book of Nehemiah. We're going to see in 52 days, the whole entire wall is going to be rebuilt by God's people in the face of opposition because they were unified and empowered by the spirit of the living God. I love this quote. I'll leave us with this this morning from missionary William Carey. And it's what I want us and Pastor Kevin and all of your pastors here want for us as we step into 2021 together and a call to rebuilding and relaunching and reestablishing. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God, said William Carey. Bayou City Tomball, expect great things from God. It's what God does. He's in the business of doing great things. Check his resume. It's pretty good, right? Expect them and then do them for God. One step at a time. One step of obedience. God will show up, friends. He will show off. Amen? Let's pray. God, we need you. We are broken. We are weak. We are people who have lost our way so many times, and yet you show up in the midst of our mess. You teach us how to press on for your glory and your purposes and your kingdom. And so I pray today, God, that you take these truths that come from your holy word that's living and active, that you would massage them deep into the depths of our heart and our soul and our mind, and that we would leave today changed by the power of your spirit. Help us, Jesus. We need you more than ever. Help us today. We love you. Amen.